Hey, good morning, Resonate Church. It's awesome to see you this morning. I'm always so surprised by um, the crowd that shows up. I'm just grateful that you want to worship Jesus on a Sunday morning. Hey, I know that there's a crowd out there in Hayward, too, and we want to greet you. We love you. We're so glad that you're part of us, and especially our online family also. If you are part of our online family, keep attending, keep showing up. Don't go to YouTube, go to our online platform and engage there. And I I pray that we would soon see you here in one of our physical campuses. Now we're starting a brand new series called Freed Indeed. And we're starting this because we know that many of us are more enslaved to our past and to things than we want to recognize. that That we tend to do things that we don't want to do. And that it's not just out of habit, but there's a stronghold. And it's called a stronghold because it holds us very strongly. Um, I, I didn't realize I was so enslaved by my past until just recently I was uh, getting counseled by my Christian counselor. And in the beginning of the year, he made a connection for me that I, I didn't realize. And the connection was this, that I so longed for affirmation that in my heart I, I sought it out. And because my father was not giving me that affirmation, I I discovered a way to achieve it, which is through achievement. That if I achieve enough, then maybe my dad will give me the affirmation. But in order to find that achievement, I would have to verbally abuse myself, to be tough on myself. Because the harder on myself I am, then I will achieve. And therefore, through that achievement, I will find that affirmation that I sought out. And so my counselor's just clearly saw that how I was so harsh to myself that I would use words that I wouldn't use to my children or anybody else, maybe a few of you, but mostly not, you know. Um, and, 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 and my counselor, you got to be kinder to yourself. you got to speak like God speaks to you. Now, I certainly know that that's not the way God speaks to me, the way I speak to myself. I know that. I know that God's opinion of me is, is greater than my opinion of myself. And yet, because it is a stronghold, because I'm enslaved to those things, I continue to go back to it. And I I know that this is not something that I just am plagued with. I know many of us are experiencing this too. I can't tell you over the 15, 20, 30 years that I've been a minister, um, so many women who have been in abusive relationships have come to me and shared, "My, my husband is abusive. He hits me. He verbally abuses me. He says all these things. And, 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 immediately my heart is just wanting to protect them spiritually and physically and emotionally. And yet their reply often is, well, I, I, I can't go. I can't leave because if I leave, I'll have nothing. I'll have nothing. Now, that's some real fear. That they're paralyzed by fear. And if you think, man, abusive relationship, why can't they just get out? Just leave, just leave. I think you are underestimating the power of enslavement in their lives and in your lives as well. I mean, think about a biblical example like the Israelites, and we sang of it in both of our campuses. Uh, You know, uh, the Israelites, the people of God, were enslaved by Egypt, Pharaoh. And so God sends Moses to liberate them, and he goes to Pharaoh and says, Moses says, let my people, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, heck no. I like these people. And so he does it. So what does God do? God sends the 10 plagues 
to plague the Egyptians. And as they do, the Israelites are set free. And they're liberated. They're finally free people. And as they go into freedom, not too long after they found their new freedom, they turn back to Moses and says, hey, we kind of want to go back and live as enslaved people. We don't want to be under your leadership. I mean, after they found freedom, they, they want to go back to their old ways, their old habit. You see, this is how we are. This is how Paul is. Paul in Romans 7 says, I could relate to those Israelites because those Israelites are like me. I, I constantly go back. And this is why in Romans 7 he says, I don't know why I do these things. I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. And I don't do the things that I should do. And my heart is complex and it is broken. And Paul, though, doesn't leave us just with a confession he leaves us with a solution, which is really important. And praise God that he gives us a helpful solution to no longer be enslaved. And if we were to follow the counsel of Paul's words, then you and I would no longer be enslaved. And so the solution that Paul gives is not found in a what, but it's found in a who. It's found in a person. In fact, Romans 7 says this. Wretched man that I am, he says, who will deliver me? Not what will deliver me. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul is referring to the person of Christ. It is Jesus who will free you. It's Jesus who will free me today. And that's the hope of our freedom. So for the next few months, we're going to be talking about freedom from our strongholds, the very things that enslave us, the very things that trap us, and, and things like addiction and people-pleasing and fear and anxiety and sexual sin, even depression, even unhealthy relationships that we're holding on to, even bad marriages. Wouldn't it be amazing for the next few months that we would hear the shackles and the bondages of us fall off and we would just hear them all day long in the lobbies outside as the people of God at Resonate continue to talk, we would say, I've been set free, I've been freed indeed. Wouldn't that be so good? And that's the expectation, yes. That is the expectation that we should long for and that's my hope. So the mantra that I wanna repeat over and over and over again in this series is this. Every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. Isn't that so hopeful? Let's say it together. Every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. I'm a sinner and I have a future that is found in a person, not an idea, the person of Jesus Christ. Today, we're asking the question, how can we find freedom from our enslavement? And so if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, would you turn to Romans chapter seven, Romans chapter 7, actually Romans chapter 6, and we'll go from verses 1 through 7. And if you're able, would you please stand from your seats, and I'll pray once again that the Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than the one that you're about to, you're about to hear from me today. It says, we stand in Romans 6, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ is raised 
from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That is the word of the Lord for this great Sunday. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Now, I want to show you something really critical in understanding Romans 6. And I'm going to illustrate it by these jars. And this represents Adam. And this represents Christ. And this represents you. Happy in your sin. (laughs) You see, it says, the Bible says in Genesis Genesis. Uh, that he created Adam, the God of the universe who created all things, created the first man, Adam. And that when Adam sinned, when Adam sinned in Genesis 3, the curse was laid out for the rest of the world. And because so, every person who would be in Adam, which is you, which is me, which is all of mankind, we find ourselves doing the things that Adam does because this is our DNA. This is our bondage. This is who we are enslaved to. So it doesn't matter who you are, a princess of a girl or a granddaughter or grandson of yours, it does not matter. If you're born in this world, you're born in Adam. You see, you are in Adam, and therefore, whatever Adam is, you are. And because Adam is a sinner, you and I are born and will remain a sinner. That is what being born of Adam is. But Paul says in Romans 6, and we just read it, there are a lot of words that we read, but the overall idea is this, that we were once in Adam, but if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you say yes to Jesus for what he offers you, and by grace alone, by faith alone, if you say yes to Jesus, and when you say, you die for me, you pay the penalty of death, you live the perfect life so that that perfect life is accredited to me and my death is accredited to you, you are cursed, you are judged by God and no longer am I condemned, then you are then in Christ. You and you who said yes to Jesus, I am in Christ and if you are in Christ, You're no longer influenced. You're no longer in bondage. You're no longer um, shackled by the things of Adam. But whatever is true of Adam, I mean, whatever is true of Christ is true of you now. Meaning, before, whatever that was true of Adam was true of you. But now when you're in Christ, whatever true of the death and the resurrection of Christ is the reality of the death and resurrection in us. And this is an amazing reality because now, by the virtue of Christ adopting us, we are no longer under the mastery of Adam. I don't know how many times you've said in your life, you're like, man, I'm such a sinner. I can't help but to do what I used to do. My simple question is, are you in Adam or are you now in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, you'll no longer use that kind of language to say, oh, you know, I'm in the mastery of Adam anymore. Now, you might be in the habit of Adam. You might have your old DNA of Adam, but now you are in Christ. By the way, there's no such thing as this. I'm like, oh, I'm no longer in Adam, but I'm making a journey towards Christ. No, 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 no. There's no such thing as that. There's no such thing as a person like this. A person who is not in Christ is ultimately in Adam. If you're not in here, then you're in Adam. 
But if you find yourself in Christ, you are no longer Adam. Adam has no more authority over you. He could only whisper to you, but he doesn't have any authority over you. Think about adoption. You know what happens to the adoption? So you say you are, you, are, you are in an orphanage, you're governed by the state, you're governed by the county, you're governed by the institution of that you know, adoption agency. It tells you who you eat with and where you sleep with and when to do, what to do, and all that. And all of a sudden, somebody comes and signs that powerful paper where, to adopt you. And once that transaction has happened, something amazing happens. You know what happens? The authority of the previous past gets released and you are under a new authority. That authority says you are a new family, you have a new identity, you have a new destination. And before you, your destination wasn't secure, your wealth wasn't secure, your prosperity wasn't secure, but now under the adoption of a new family, you have a new secure family with new future, new destination. And when Jesus says for the first time, by faith, if you come into Christ, I will adopt you. God, you are God's children, and because you are in Christ, no longer has Adam and all of your DNA has any authority over you. It can't claim anything. You know one thing that the, uh, the adoption agency can't do is to come and say, oh, by the way, you got to come back. Why? Because the paper is signed, and once it is signed, complete authority went from the state to the family. And when this happened, when you said yes to Jesus... The complete authority of Christ says, you are now mine. <laughs> you are now mine. I have paid the price. You have been bought with a purchase. I have released you from your old slavery, your old authority, your old master. You are mine. I'm your master now. I'm your master. I'm your brother now. And we are adopted into the family of God. That is a powerful reality that you and I have to live through. So now immediately this happens. The, the, the authority of the past gets lost completely. And with that understanding, then now we have, un, we have a better chance of understanding what Paul is saying here. And in this text that we just read, Paul's going to challenge us to do three things. One, dare. Secondly, declare. And third, to decide. Dare Declare and decide. And so if you're taking notes, here's the first thing that we see in verse 1. He says, dare to live free. Will you dare to live free, not under bondage? And let's look at verse 1. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. Look at the question he asks. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He says, how can we who died to sin, we're dead to Christ. I mean, we're dead to Adam. We're alive in Christ. How can we continue to sin? Now, you might say, well, Paul, that's quite easy. I sin every day. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an expert sinner. You know, in fact, like, I, I don't ever look out into a day without the expectation that, you know, I'm not going to sin. I'm always going to sin. That's who I am, right? Now, Paul is not saying how you do it. Paul is really asking here why you do it. Why do you sin? He's basically saying this, listen, don't you know that you've been set free? Don't you know that you were once in prison, but the prisoner doors has been opened, set free? And yet, why are you sitting in your cell? Why are you still sitting there? Why, why don't you walk out and live? Why do you continue to do what you do in secret? Why are you continuing to be anxious when you know that Christ has set you free? 
Why do you stick and, and why, are you, why are you stuck in your old marriage? Why don't you renew your marriage? Why, why are you in your old ways? Why are you constantly going back when your old master whispers to you, come back, when he no longer has any authority over you? Why do you do that? That's what Paul is asking here. In verse 3, he says, do you not know? Look at how he argues that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. Now, when we think about baptized, we just think about, you know, people getting dunked and, hey, we're here, you know, in that little bathtub that we have, right? And by the way, it's a pretty fancy bathtub. We used to do it in like a horse trough, okay? We used to, we used to do that. Now we're like, we're, we've arrived. You know, we have hot water and stuff like that. I mean, so we think about when we're being baptized in Jesus, we think we're just getting dunked in water. But this is what Paul is saying. You know, the word baptism in the Bible is not a biblical word, but it's a common secular word. It's a worldly word to mean in. It means to be immersed into. And this is why when we get baptized, we're saying, you've been dead with Christ. You've been in with Christ. And that as Christ has resurrected, you too will resurrect. Whatever is true of Christ is true of you. That's what we're saying. And here Paul is saying, don't you know that you're not here anymore? But that you're in with Christ? And everything of Christ is your reality? Don't you know that you've been set free completely? That you don't have to be in bondage anymore. Live, dare to live free because you are liberated is what he's saying. And so verse 4, Paul says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Do you see in verse 4, he's not talking about just the past. He's not talking about our glorious future that will come. He's talking about how you and I can live in the newness of life right now. The power that raised us from the dead to the very power that will raise us to life when we die is in you now. And Paul's asking, why do you not depend on that power? Why do you not live out of that power? Why do you always go back to your old master? So you see, with Christ, you and I just didn't get a get-out-of-jail-free card. With Christ, we didn't just get a pardon. With Christ, we got a power. We have a power that lives in us. We have a power that is active in us. And yet you and I pathetically, constantly seek such little things, puny things from the Lord. We want inner peace. We want just a little inspiration when we come to church. We don't want total healing. We don't want radical transformation. Listen, he does not open your prisoner door so that you could hang out in your prison yard. Did you hear me? He doesn't fling open your prison gate so that you could go out to the yard under the bondage that you are still in. He opens our prisoner's door so that you and I could live free, free indeed. That's what he wants of us. That's why Christ died, and that's why he will resurrect. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, shows us Jesus' heart in all this. He says this. He says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. 
I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself. In exchange, I will give you myself, my will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. My power shall become your power. So here's a little application for us. If you find yourself in Christ this morning, you must, and hear me straight, get rid of your doubts. You must no longer say stuff like, I'll never change. Have you ever said that about yourself? I mean, I'll never change. My old habits, you know, I'm just going to have to accept them because that's what I do. That's who I am. You know, that the old patterns that I used to try to shake, and I can't, man, I, I, there's no healing there. It's okay. I'm going to die with this anyway. Listen, initially that sounds like humility. That's not humility at all. What you're saying is your power is stronger than the power that lives in you. That's what you're saying. Listen, Jesus is alive. You know why he's alive? Because his, he rolled the stone away. Amen? Amen? And he didn't roll your stone away so that you could hang out in the cave. He does not want you to just dwell there in the dark. He opened the prisoner's doors wide open. He rolled the stone away so you and I could live free, free indeed. So dare to live free. Secondly, you must declare that sin is not your master. Declare sin is not your master. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified and with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died, that's talking about us, has been set free from sin. Again, here Paul is talking about our old self, which is in Adam. And he uses the word we're not just dead from Adam. He says we're crucified, meaning we paid for it. And so we're no longer here, but every influence in our lives are now here. Oh, you might say, well, but Ryan, you know, I don't feel set free. I don't think you know me very well because even though I believe I'm in Christ, I feel like I'm most influenced by Adam. Now, I'm not saying that Adam and your old ways and your old habit can't influence you. I'm not saying walking away from your sin and your old patterns are easy to walk away from. I've been enslaved. I continue to be enslaved. But in theory and in reality, I just want to ask, do you know what it feels like to tempt a corpse? Have you tried to tempt a corpse to do something that... Uh, a corpse is dead, by the way. You know that, right? You know a corpse never was tempted to eat too much? They're like, oh, I better not eat that dessert. Never. A corpse has never said that. Why? Because they're dead in their past. And Paul is using that strong language. Not only are you dead from your past, you've been crucified. And now you're alive in Christ. Now, I understand that there's immense, immense patterns that we are enslaved to, okay? Like, I remember um, when we got this building here in Fremont, our old offices were right off Automall, if you know, it's an exit past this. 
and, and, and without thinking, I would drive to work. I should turn off Stevenson, but yet I would go to Automall. Why? Because the patterns, my enslavement, years and years, we've just been driving to Automall every single day, and that's what I would do. I would just find myself like, what am I doing here? And shamefully turn around and pretend I want to go to Chick-fil-A or something. You know, that's, that's what I had to do. But look, at this is why Paul says this, verse 11, in the same way, listen, count yourselves dead to sin. It's not natural. You got to count. Just like you count your money, you got to consider that you're dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must declare, if you're alive in Christ, you must declare that sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your master because the power of sin has been broken. So let us declare this aloud together with conviction. Say, sin is no longer my master. Sin is no longer my master. You must say that over and over again every time you are tempted. And so tomorrow when you wake up and the very thing that wants to control you, your old patterns, your old master whispers to you and say, come on back. Come on and get angry. Get frustrated. You know, do the things that nobody sees. You know, keep doing that stuff. It'll call you, it'll call you to be jealous, angry, frustrated. It's going to tempt you to act on it. But before you do, you must declare sin. You're not my master. You used to be, but you're no longer my master. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. He says, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. See, let not sin, therefore, reign in your body. That sounds like a choice. You know why? Because it is. It's a choice. The good news is you and I have a choice to sin now. Uh, and that when we do sin, it, it is a volitional choice. And we don't, we don't have to sin anymore. Why? Because sin is no longer my master. Christ is. I'm in bond with Christ. I have more in likeness with Christ than Adam now because I'm in faith. Now, I want to ask you a very important question. This might be the most important question I ask all throughout this talk. And the question is, when you wrestle with sin, which side of the argument do you identify with? You know, every time you're about to sin, you know you have an argument, right? And there's always two sides. Man, I shouldn't eat that, but I want to. I shouldn't do that. Oh, but I want to. I shouldn't buy that. Oh, but I want to. I need it. I need it so bad. You know, oh, I shouldn't do that in secret, but I want to. See, you know that argumentation, two sides? And the question I want to ask is at that moment, which side do you identify with? Do you identify with Adam or do you identify with Christ? And when you think in those terms right before sin, which is the real you? Is this the real you or is this the real you? Because what happens, in other words, do you wrestle with sin from the standpoint from Adam or Christ? And if you, uh, if you argue from Adam, it'll sound always like this. You know what? I've always been like this. And I, I continue to sin. There's, there's no breaking free from sin. You see, it was from my parents. You see, it's from Adam. This is the purpose. I can't do anything about it. I just have to live with it. I'm used to it. I'm not going to fight sin anymore. I'm just going to let it come to me. That's how you argue from Adam. And could I tell you, every time you argue from Adam as if your Adam is your identity, you will act 
like Adam. But to argue from Christ sounds like this. Man, that's tempting. Man, sin wants to conquer me again. But man, I know that that's not my master anymore. I've been set free. But man, I'm so deeply tempted. I want to go, but I'm set free in Jesus Christ. He died for me. He paid the penalty for me. So I don't have to say yes. Sin, you're not my master. It's the way we argue. And could I just share with you, this is my point. Every time you struggle in your sin, in that moment, whichever side you identify with really has so much of the outcome that you will land on. So are you going to argue and see yourself through the lens of Adam? Or are you going to see yourself through Christ? That's very important. And as long as you identify um, with Adam, you're going to act like Adam. The the more you're going to identify with Christ and speak like Christ, you're going to act like Christ. No longer are you in mastery under Adam, but you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Here's the third thing, last thing. You must decide to live out of your new identity. Live out of your brand new identity. And look at verse six, it's so clear. We know that our old self, that's talking about your old identity, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse seven, for one who has died has been set free from sin. You see what it's saying? It says, so that. Your old self has been crucified so that you're no longer enslaved to sin anymore. You have a brand new identity. Your old identity used to be married to that old master, but you are set free, you have a new master. He's saying your new identity is set free in Christ. St. Augustine, before he was a Christian, he was a very sexually promiscuous person. He had many mistresses. And after his conversion, after he became in Jesus, one of his old mistresses came around and enticed him and said, and, and, and tried to, try to get him back to his old habits. And, you know, St. Augustine waved him off and just kept, uh, waved her off and kept on going. And she literally thought at the moment, like, oh, maybe he didn't recognize who I was. And so she goes to Augustine and says, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And St. Augustine turns around and says, oh, I know, but it is no longer I. See his identity? It's been changed. And here's what Augustine was saying. He's saying, you see, before I was in Christ, I was in the pattern of the world. I was under an old mastery. And the old mastery was I needed all this affirmation of love and affection. Because, you know, I wasn't really even looking for real love. What I was actually looking for is companionship and affirmation. I was using women to do it because I so deeply needed the affirmation. But once I got a brand new self from my old self, I got my new self from who Christ told me I was. And he gave me more affirmation and affirmation of, um, uh, and security than I've ever, ever needed and afforded. And like him, you say, man, I used to be the kind of person who used to crumble under criticism. If somebody criticized me, I would just die inside, but no longer because, you know what? Jesus is my approval. You know, I used to be the person who who's, couldn't, couldn't say no or break off from a relationship because I needed that security so desperately. You know, I used to be maybe a person who constantly fished for compliments because I needed other people's affirmation. I needed to be liked. 
But with Jesus, I have all the approval. I have all the security. I have all the affirmation I'll ever need. Christ is enough. Could I, could I tell you, if Jesus and his affirmation for you is not enough today, ain't no other affirmation, all of the affirmation in the world will be enough for you. You're always gonna be searching. You'll always be fishing for people. You'll always use people. Jesus' affirmation over you is enough. It's enough. <laughs> Could I just give you a final warning about new identity? We're gonna close. Have you ever heard of identity theft? Yeah, I was, I was a victim of one. Um, one time, but you know what? Satan is the greatest thief of identity. He wants to rob you of the true identity that you have in Christ. And you know how he does it? I'll tell you how he does it. And this is so much of the secret to living a successful, free life. Ready? This is it. You have to know what Satan does. You know what Satan does? Satan loves to rob your identity, but when you sin, you experience guilt. Now, you know, there's good guilt and bad guilt, right? There's a good guilt where God gives you a, a spirit, an intuition, a conscience to say, man, I shouldn't be doing this, or I should be doing more of this. Man, I should do it. Those are the Holy Spirit leaning consciousness that God has given us to go the direction that, and that God wants us to go. But there's the bad guilt. And the bad guilt is something that Satan uses over and over again to torment us, to bring us down. And could I tell you, the greatest scheme that Satan does is turn your guilt into shame. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants to morph your guilt into shame. Now, what's the difference between guilt and shame? Could I tell you? Lewis Meads, this is what he says. He says, the difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. Do you hear that? We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilty because they did something wrong. That's an activity. But a person feels shame because they are something wrong. And that's identity. And this is what Satan does with us. There's nothing more Satan wants to do than to turn your guilt into shame, to bring you down. So if you sin, he'll call you, no, you didn't just sin, you're a sinner. If you lied, he'll say, you're a faker. If you've missed the mark, he'll say, you are a failure. You're a failure. And you made somebody sad, you say, you are a disappointment. See, it's no longer something that you did as an activity. It's something that you are. And Satan loves to give you that identity because it is so contrary to the identity that we receive in Christ. And he'll lie to you. So all of a sudden, we'll, we'll fight for worth. And we start trying to earn it by striving and performing and, and pleasing and perfecting. And that ends, never ends. It goes over and over and over again. And by the way, guess who becomes your greatest accuser after a while? You. That's right. You become the greatest accuser. You. 
Not only is the enemy whispering to you, you're stupid. You say, I'm so stupid. I'm such a failure. I'm such a fake. I'm such a liar. And this is what happens. I'm ruined. I'm alone. And you and I will believe lies like, you know, I'll be only worthy if I lose 20 pounds. I'll be only worthy if I get sober. You know, I'll be worthy if I could just get pregnant. It's not enough to be married. You know, I, I'll be worthy if, if I'm a successful parent or others sees me as one. I'll be worthy if I just make a certain amount of money. Then I know that I'm worthy. I'll be worthy if I got a scholarship or go to that one university. That's the only way that I'm worthy. I'll be worthy if somebody asks me out. I'll be worthy if I finally have my parents' approval. I'll be worthy if I am perfect or act perfect. I'll be worthy if I have the approval of my peers. I'm telling you, this shame destroys your God-given identity. But could I also tell you some good news? There is an antidote to shame. You know what it is? By the way, it's free. Not only is it free, but it's endless. The antidote to shame is Jesus' grace. The gospel says he took our shame. He bore it all, every single one, so that you and I don't have to pay for it. And I know that dear sister is watching today, but yesterday at a picnic, we were talking, and she had watched the Thursday night sermon and said, I, I've been living a life of shame. I, I don't know that I'm set free, but God did something in my heart on Thursday night. And in Christ, he bore my shame. He bore my shame. And I, I refuse to pay for it again. By living in shame now is to pay for what Christ already paid for in full. So I'm set free. It never runs out. Shame towers over me and tells me I'm defective. But grace stoops low and tells me I'm loved. Shame leads me to a fear of judgment. And grace will continue to approve of me and give me assurance that I'm I'm unconditionally loved and precious. Shame says I'm flawed, therefore I'm unacceptable. Grace says I'm flawed, but I'm kept and loved and cherished. Shame says that your opinion, of, the opinion of the crowd is all that matters. But grace says the opinion of God is the only thing that truly matters. Shame makes us hide. You see, grace sets us free shame accuses grace liberates shame is the language of the devil grace is the language of jesus in all of our campuses would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and in a moment of meditation i want to ask what enslaves you today where do you find your true identity? I mean, what gives you the sense that you are worthy? 
where do you get your sense of worth? Is it your looks? Is it your beauty? Is it your popularity? Is it your success, your performance? Maybe your reputation. Maybe some of you are hanging on to your past, can't let go. And when you realize Satan wants to enslave you with those things, even though you're completely set free in Christ, you could tell off your old master and say this. You could say, listen, you are not my joy. Christ is my joy. You are not my safety. Christ is my safety. You are not my life. Christ is my life. You are not my security. Christ is my security. You are not my deliverer. Christ is my deliverer. You cannot die for me. Christ died for me. Lord, I pray for the next few months we would feel the shackles just falling off of us. That in each other we would celebrate the chains being broken because we are in you. We're no longer in the mastery of Adam. We're no longer bond servants of him. We're no longer tied to him. We're not in Adam anymore because by faith and by your grace, we are in you. And so that means we're set free. We're free indeed. Help us to realize that the prisoner doors have been flung open so free that we don't hang out in our prison yard, but instead that we will walk out in the liberation that Christ gave because he died and he rose again and he's alive today and that power of the resurrection lives in us today. Help us to speak a new language, living out of our new identity that is in you, not in Adam. Give us that clarity, give us that fight, and I pray through the process that chains of old will fall off, that would be liberated in you. Oh, the freedom that could be had. It's already been given to us in your name, and we want to claim it today. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for allowing us to, through you and through your sacrifice, be adopted to our Heavenly Father. And we love you and worship you for it. In Jesus' name we all pray. All God's people said, amen. Let's give him glory today. Hallelujah. Amen.